welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to episode 12 in series four, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for joining us again for this episode. I hope you've been able to listen into the other episodes. They're all closely connected in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look today at the principles and practice of prayer and we're going to look in Matthew 6, which is our text today, at verses 5 to 15, which we'll read in a few moments. If you've been following the series, you'll be well aware of the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has established himself in his public ministry in Galilee. He's gathered disciples. He appointed the 12 apostles on the same occasion just before delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 and also in Luke 6. So we do make reference to Luke 6 from time to time during the course of series 4. And it's got some unique material that I've spoken of in different contexts. But we're in Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 5 had three essential components. First of all, talking about the right attitudes of disciples, which we call the Beatitudes. Then Jesus explained how he was going to reinterpret and fulfill the law of Moses. And then there were six sections in Matthew chapter 5 where he did just that, taking a text from the Old Testament and also some other sayings of the Jews, some other ethical sayings, and he reinterpreted all these and applied them to Christian discipleship. If you followed through all those talks, you'll be aware there was some really significant material. And Jesus profoundly believed that to follow him was a complete change of lifestyle. Everything changes when you follow Christ, your sexual ethics, your personal relationships, how you deal with your emotions, how you deal with your words, how you deal with people who oppose you. And major transformations take place within us. And that's what's really being described in chapter five. In the last episode, we moved on from that because the first half of chapter six deals with three different topics that are very closely linked to each other. The first one is about giving to the poor and the needy. The second one we're dealing with today is about prayer. And the third one is about fasting. And the reason that these three are closely linked together is that they are three major religious practices carried out by the Jews of Jesus's day and largely carried out in public. This is very significant. And one of the themes that we'll notice through these three sections is the distinction between things that happen in public and things that happen in private. And for the most part, giving, prayer and fasting are private activities of the Christian disciple and spiritual disciplines for us. That's one of the themes that we will identify and we've already seen that in the last episode. We'll see it again shortly. So we're going to talk about prayer and we all know that prayer is a tremendously important subject for Christians. It occurs as a topic of Jesus's teaching on quite a number of occasions throughout the Gospels. We'll see the topic coming up again and in this particular section Jesus is going to introduce to us what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. That also comes up again because he reiterates this teaching to his disciples on a separate and later occasion as recorded in Luke chapter 11, where you see some similar teaching. But the Lord's Prayer becomes a central part of this 
explanation of the principles and practices of personal prayer. So we'll start by reading this passage all the way through. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I've had the privilege of visiting the land of Israel and the surrounding territories and countries on a number of occasions. And if you go today to the city of Jerusalem, you'll find two major Islamic mosques in the centre of the old city of Jerusalem on a raised part of ground in an area known as the Temple Mount, where the Jewish temple used to be before it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, a topic we'll discuss later on. And next to that temple mount and that compound with Islamic worship going on regularly, there is an extended wall on the side, which is known as the Wailing Wall. And this is a place of Jewish prayer and worship. It's a place where the stones Go back in time, hundreds and hundreds of years, and some are reputed to be part of the temple construction. And at the Wailing Wall, Jews gather to pray. Orthodox Jews, religious Jews, often dressed in their traditional dark religious clothing, and often they will pray carrying scrolls with a wooden pole and a scroll in which the Jewish scriptures are written. 
you might be familiar with the site and you'll see this elsewhere where there are Jewish communities, but notably you see this at the Wailing Wall. But the Wailing Wall is primarily a place of prayer. Men and women are in separate areas and people pray out loud, publicly, often very emotionally, with joy and singing, with lamentation and tears. Many prayers are posted on little bits of paper between the stones in the wall. And this is public prayer, uh, modern Jewish style. And it captures some of the elements that existed in the time of Jesus. The fact that prayer took place in public, on the streets, in the synagogues and in the temple. And the intensity and the activity of praying were often judged as being honourable to that person. In other words, you gain status by your role in public prayer. This is what Jesus refers to when he talks about standing in the synagogues, the street corners, to be seen by others. So Jesus is addressing this context where much prayer took place in public and the motivation seemed very often to be to gain reputation of other people who honoured you in a very religious society. But Jesus identifies two basic principles of prayer for his own disciples. The first one is that prayer is primarily a private activity. It's very noticeable that he says, when you pray in verse six, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. So go into your room and close the door is incredibly important. This is the complete opposite of the religious display of praying in public, which was commonplace in those days and which is represented in the scenario that I described at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today. Prayer is private primarily. Yes, there are times to pray together publicly in church meetings or in prayer meetings. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is addressing here primarily the individual. And the individual needs to pray privately. And prayer is also a second principle based on faith. So it's based on asking God in a simple way rather than speaking loudly and with many, many words, thinking that the volume or the number of words is going to make a difference as to whether God answers you. We see in verse 7, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. So Jesus is contrasting the Jews who like public prayer and pagans, people who followed the Roman and the Greek religions particularly, who had prayer which was full of long words and sentences and long prayers in order to gain the attention of the gods. Jesus says, you don't need to do that with your heavenly father. You've got his attention already. What he wants is your focused attention, private prayer and faith, trusting him that he's actually listening and he's actually interested in what you're going to say. 
So the foundation for prayer here is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You notice here that God is described as Father a number of times in this passage and the Lord's Prayer starts with calling out to God as our Father in heaven. In fact, Jesus mentions the word Father 14 times in the Sermon on the Mount. This was a difficult concept for the Jews. They saw God as Father of their nation in a general sense. But Christians see God as our father in a spiritual, personal sense. We've been born into his family. We've been adopted as his children. And so we can legitimately call out to God and pray our father. And that brings us now to the Lord's Prayer. I grew up with the Lord's Prayer. I was taught it by my parents as a child. And we prayed it together at my bedside for a number of years in my childhood. But it only really came alive to me when I was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I realised that this wonderful prayer was such a rich foundation for my prayer life. And to this very day, I use the Lord's Prayer almost every single day in my personal devotions. I have a room in my home where I can go in and close the door, just like Jesus said in the earlier verses. And I can sit down in my chair, I can get my Bible out. And almost every day when I pray, one of the things I do is I go through the Lord's Prayer slowly, phrase by phrase, thinking what it means, praying some applications of each of these points. And it is the basic framework for my prayer life, and it has been for decades in my life. So I commend it to you. You may well know this prayer extremely well if you're experienced in Christian denominational worship or if you know the Bible. But let's look at it afresh as a resource for prayer for you as an individual in your private prayers. And we start with the statement, the calling on God, our Father in heaven exalted and in glory. It's great to think of God in heaven as the first thought as we come to pray. Here we are on earth, but when we pray, we're looking up to heaven and we see God the Father is in heaven. That means he's in power, he's in glory, and he has the ability to intervene in our lives. And we pray, hallowed be your name. What does this expression mean? Hallowed means to be considered holy or honoured. But if we pray, hallowed be your name, it's also a prayer about ourselves. It's almost like saying, make me holy. Make me someone who honours and respects you. And it's also a bit like praying, make people believe, because God is honoured and respected when people believe in him. So we want the name of God and his reputation to be enhanced through our lives and through our mission. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, let your name be holy or honoured or respected. Hallowed be your name. What a wonderful way to start praying. We're looking up to the heavens. We're seeing God there and we're saying we want him glorified. We want him glorified in our lives. We want him glorified through other people. We want him glorified in the church. We want him glorified in the world. 
And then come two tremendously important prayers. Your kingdom come is the first one. Notice here that we don't start praying about ourselves and our needs. That I found to be a real key to a productive prayer life. We always come to God with needs. And sometimes we have to bring our urgent needs to him as a matter of urgency. But in general terms, it's far better when praying to focus on him and his purposes first. Then our needs come a little bit later on, as we shall see. So we pray your kingdom come. Then we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first prayer, your kingdom come, is about what God does now. And the second prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is looking forward into the future when so much of God's kingdom is fulfilled on earth through Jesus coming again, that earth and heaven are both equally obeying God. Let's start with your kingdom come now. That means more people receiving Christ as Saviour and Lord. That means more signs of the kingdom, more nations reached, more churches planted, more care for the poor, more demonstrated miraculous power in the church. These are the sort of things that are implied when we pray, your kingdom come. We can, of course, apply that to our family, to our community, to our local church. We can apply it to our whole country that we live in. We can apply it to the whole world. We cry out to God, your kingdom come. That focuses us as followers of him. We're aligning ourselves in that prayer to say, well, I want to be an agent of the kingdom. I want to contribute to your kingdom coming by being obedient to the things that you call me to do. I believe personally that word online, a vision that's been given to me to fulfill, is my personal response to this prayer and God's command to me. I pray your kingdom come. And one of the way God's kingdom comes is through people knowing Jesus, knowing the word, knowing about his life and following him as his disciples. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know from Jesus's later teaching, for example, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, from the teaching of Paul and the teaching of the book of Revelation in particular, that Jesus is coming again. There's a second coming and we know that that second coming is going to be in power and glory and will bring in the fullness of God's kingdom. We're establishing his kingdom now. We've got groups of people all over the world, churches following him, but many, many, many millions of people not in the kingdom, moving in the opposite direction. When Christ comes in the second coming, then his kingdom becomes the dominant reality on the earth and we receive the answer to our prayer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it won't happen until the day that Jesus comes again but we're preparing for that day by everything we do in the intervening years now these are some pretty amazing prayers aren't they and we haven't said anything in our prayers about ourselves yet and about our needs. As I said a few moments ago, I think that's healthy, that's good. That aligns us in the right direction. I found it incredibly healthy. When I've got loads and loads of needs and problems to come to God and to pray first, 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That makes me a worshipper. That makes me a disciple to think about those things and to keep a focus on them. But then we can pray with confidence, having prayed for his kingdom. We can pray, give us today our daily bread. I think that's wonderful. God knows that we need money. We need food. We need water. We need clothing. We need the basic provisions of life. We need housing. And all these things are implied in this essential statement, which is about food, about provision. Give us today our daily bread. The wonderful thing about God is that although he calls us to lay down our lives for him, to change, to be very self-controlled in all sorts of ways that we've discussed in Matthew chapter 5 and many ways that we'll discuss as we carry along in future series, even though all these things are true, we know that he loves us and he wants to provide our essential needs. And so if you come to this video and you're listening to this perhaps on an audio, and you have fundamental material needs, can I encourage you to have real faith, to pray with me, give us today our daily bread. Take that away. Pray it with more earnestness and more faith, and you'll see God moving in your life to meet those needs. And then there's another very important area of prayer that comes next and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors now the debts referred to here are primarily sins forgive us our sins we have been fundamentally forgiven of sins at the time of coming to Christ everything beforehand forgiven atonement price paid by Jesus on the cross. That is a fundamental truth of Christianity. But day by day, we do and say and think things that are against the will of God. They are sins. And every day as we come and pray, there will be things that we've done or said or thought that are wrong. And we ask God's forgiveness. We want to turn away from them. We don't want them to let it get a grip in our lives by leaving them there unchallenged and unchanged. Prayer cleanses away those sins that are threatening us because we repent of them. We identify them. But it also says here, as we have forgiven our debtors. So the implication is we also have a responsibility as we're seeking God's forgiveness to forgive other people who have done things wrong against us. That is a real experience of so many of us so much of the time. It is a daily priority to forgive other people. It's a discipline of true discipleship and it's something to be done as quickly as possible. Verses 14 and 15 underlie the significance of this. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, it creates a spiritual blockage within us if there is unforgiveness. It reduces the quality of our relationship with our heavenly Father and it makes it more problematical to ask him to answer our prayers specifically. This is not describing the basis of salvation. This is describing the day-to-day cleansing of sin that we need to commit ourselves to. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here we have identified the satanic forces of darkness that exist and are discussed and mentioned by Jesus on numerous occasions in the Gospels. Real spiritual forces, a real satanic overlord who came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, as recorded earlier on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, that we see just before the Sermon on the Mount. And he tempted Jesus on other occasions. We acknowledge in our prayers the reality of demonic forces and a spiritual battle that we are involved with. But as we seek his kingdom first, as we seek his forgiveness for our sins, as we seek provision from him through receiving our daily bread, as we forgive other people, then we are putting ourselves in a strong position to resist temptation and to overcome any challenges that may come from satanic forces which are against us. We should not fear them. We should respect that reality, but draw on the power of the living God to overcome the threat of evil spiritual forces. There's more to be said on that topic later on in other episodes and other series. Some final reflections as we come to an end of this episode. This is incredibly important teaching. It's pretty well known. Maybe you're very familiar with this, but I really do encourage you to go over this again. And if this is new to you because you're new to the Christian faith, I hope this is a revelation to you. Our prayer is not a formality. It's not just a ritual. Our prayer is part of a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's simple to pray. Most prayers should be done privately not seeking any human credit from anyone. We just pray to seek our Father in heaven. We need faith. And we're encouraged to use the framework of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm encouraging you, if you've not done this before, or you haven't done it for some time, use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for your prayer life. Take each phrase at a time, pray one phrase and stop and reflect. And think about the implications, maybe add in a few other prayers on that theme. Then move to the next and then the next and go through the Lord's Prayer quietly and steadily in your prayer life. And you will receive magnificent blessing from God as you do that. Prayer is a discipline. 
To go into your room and shut the door means you have to choose a time and a place and you have to separate yourself from everything else that is going on around you. That's a discipline. Maybe that's something that you need to pick up more strongly in your life. And make sure that you're forgiving those who have sinned against you. There will be people like that. It's a real issue. It's painful. Sometimes it's desperately painful. But God gives us strength to forgive. And as we forgive, we receive his blessing. And our prayer life and our relationship with our Heavenly Father is greatly strengthened. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you'll join me again as we look at the question of fasting in our next episode. Thanks for being with us today. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.